Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Wow, Pastor Charlie, thank you for this morning. Community Covenant Church, yes, where every member is a member of the worship team. There you go. Great. Hey, well, it is a great morning, and we are here. Can you believe it? This is the fourth Sunday in our Advent series called A Christmas Carol. And uh, many of you have expressed that you've really enjoyed this. I have to tell you, I've enjoyed it more. It has been so much fun doing research and learning about the, the origins of these carols and the people who had written them. Uh, just fabulous stories. And I come each Sunday excited and ready to share with you the new things that I've learned. And uh, it's a, kind of a study in a hymnology. And uh, man, it's good stuff. So you might recall we started the very first Sunday in Advent with What Child Is This? And uh, it is written from the perspective of the angels and the shepherds. And, and they're answering the question, what child is this? And of course, a child is identified as our Savior. And in the third stanza of that song, the writer uh, invites us to respond in light of what child this is. It's Jesus, it's the Christ, the Messiah, the King, our Savior. He invites us to respond by giving our lives to Him. And really, that is the only response in light of who He is and what He's done for us, that we would give our lives to Him. So that was week one. Then the second week was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and that is a hymn uh, of longing. It's a hymn in which our hearts are, are aching from the brokenness of living in a fallen world. And, and, and the O that precedes the come is the O of hope. Oh, come. Oh, come. Em Emmanuel. It's a hymn of longing, of waiting uh, for the second advent that Christ will return and restore and repair all that has been broken in the world because of sin. Uh, and so it is a, a carol of longing, of waiting, but it is a carol of hope because our hope is in the one who is our Savior the one whose birthday we celebrate, his first advent at Christmas, but we await, oh come, we wait for his second coming and the hope, the hope of all that entails. So that was the second week. Then the third week was my favorite. Uh, it's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, what a great, celebratory Christmas carol that is. You might recall it was written right after a period of history in England when 
the public celebration of, of Christmas and Christmas carols were banned. You weren't allowed to sing Christmas carols or celebrate Christmas publicly. But then shortly after that, uh, the, the writer, Charles Wesley, he pens uh, this Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And that's written from the perspective of, well, why are the angels singing? I mean, what, what's this all about? And as you go through each of the stanzas of that song, of that carol, it really explains about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And there's, I'll tell you what, there's good reason that the heavenly hosts are announcing and rejoicing in his birth. So those are our first three weeks. Now we are to week number four. Are you ready for this one? Man, this is great. This week, we're going to look at a Christmas carol that was not intended or not written to be a Christmas carol. And yet it's become one of the most recognized and favorite carols of all. And it's written by a very unlikely person. In fact, when you look at the lyric to the song or even the title of the song that we're going to be looking at today, and you look at this person's life, um, they might have a lot of reasons not to be joyful. And yet, maybe those reasons are the very reasons that they are so joyful. We'll take a, we'll take a look at that. Um, but it begins with uh, a child who grew up in church. Um, came from a family that um, very, very, uh, what they would say, religious family. Um, the author of our hymn today, his, his father was a um, nonconformist in England uh, or otherwise known as a dissenter. You might recall that during this period of, of his uh, life that there were those in England who refused to recognize the Church of England or the Anglican Church. It was the state church. And there were those who were followers of Jesus that said, you know what? We follow Jesus. We don't follow the state church. We're not in with all their teaching and, and, and kind of the mixture of, of religion with politic. And, and so we're not going to conform to that. In fact, we're going to dissent. And uh, you might have heard about the free church movement. This is a movement of different denominations, Protestant denominations, churches that, that said, you know, we're not in with the state church. We're out. And those who were nonconformist, like the father of our author of our hymn today, um, they suffered for it. Uh, they suffered uh, socially, uh, economically. Oftentimes they were denied work. They had a difficult time making their way. There was a price to pay to standing up to the state church, which, by the way, if you trace the origins of the Evangelical Covenant Church, they were nonconformist in the old country of Sweden, that uh, the state church was the Lutheran church, and they said, you know what? We're not in with this. We want a more robust, 
worship of the Lord that isn't mixed up in all of the politic and everything that goes along with the, the state church, which is the Lutheran Swedish church. And uh, those, those first uh, covenanters, if you were, or those who, who left the Lutheran church to form the church that we eventually know as the covenant, came out of that same kind of mold. So that's part of our heritage, isn't it? Uh, so, the father of our author of our hymn today, he, uh, he went to prison, not once but twice, for being a nonconformist. And from his earliest memory, the author of our hymn today, Isaac Watts, remembers hearing stories of how his mother would wait outside the prison door on the steps of the prison um, nursing um, her children, waiting to see her husband, who was a, a nonconformist. And so Isaac Watt grew up in this home, and he would go to church regularly and worship regularly. And in those days when they worshiped, um, they worshiped using the Psalms. And they were called metrical Psalms, and they would, they would recite them or sing them out of a metrical psalter. And they was a, kind of a combination of song and poetry. But it was very, um, according to Isaac Watt, very dull, not much life. Uh, he went to church and um, really felt like, man, church isn't what it should be. There needs to be more life in church. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? Are there any teenagers here? Yeah. Young people here? Okay. Have you ever come to church with your parents and you say, man, they're speaking a language that, man, that's, that's old and stale. It really doesn't speak to me. It really doesn't speak to my generation or, or the people outside the church. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, there's some honesty here. Okay, that's exactly what was going on with Isaac Watts. He would go to church and they would worship using the metrical psalter. And uh, it was just dull to him. And he said, man, if David were alive, he wrote these psalms. This is how he would worship the Lord. In fact, in, uh, in Psalm 98, the, the, the psalm that we read this morning... It says in verse 4, uh, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of singing, singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Right? I mean, that's what it says. But we're doing it with this metrical... Psalter, and it's hardly anything but shouting for joy, right? And so Isaac Watts, as a child, and then as a as a as a young teen, that was that was his, he's saying this doesn't this doesn't match up. We need to live into the words of the psalm the way David wrote them, and he would complain incessantly about it to his father, parents, okay. And his father one day basically said, Isaac, I'm tired of hearing about this. 
I'm kind of translating it into modern vernacular, okay? Isaac, I'm tired of hearing about this. If you don't like it, why don't you do something about it? Okay? And he did the most unexpected thing. He did something about it. And he went on to be a prolific hymn writer over 600 hymns. And what he did is he attempted to take the message of the Bible, in particular uh, the Psalms, and write them into hymns and express them into words and lyric that would speak to the common person, the unchurched person. Uh, the average person on the street, that the Psalms could communicate what the big deal is about who Jesus is. Okay? That's what he did. His dad said, well, if you don't like it, do something about it. He did. It's an amazing story. Okay? But let me tell you a little bit about this guy. I mean, it's fascinating. Um, Every week I have a new hero, okay? Okay? This week, he's my new hero. Um, he showed early in life he was a genius. Now, check this out. He learned Latin by age four, Greek by age nine. Neighbors moved in who were French refugees next door. And so he decided he wanted to talk with them and share with them. So by age 11, he learns to speak French. And if that's not enough, Hebrew at 13. Now, from a very, very, very early age, he displayed a propensity for rhyme. And uh, one day, uh, while praying with his eyes open, his father asked, Why do you pray with your eyes opened? And this was his response. A little mouse, for want of stairs, ran up a rope to say its prayers. He responded with a rhyme. Well, his father didn't like that. And so he was severely punished. And while the punishment was taking place, he cried out, Oh, Father, oh, Father, pity take, and I no more verses make. Okay? So this is, this is the person. So you can see at an early age, God had already gifted him and given him abilities and skills and areas that expressed itself to his parents and others sometimes in annoying ways. But what a lesson we learned to look through the annoyance to really see the person that God is creating and how sometimes the annoying expressions of something really are clues to a person's gifting and the talents that God has given them. And in this case, he's going to use that that propensity to use rhyme and poetry, he's going to use that as he writes songs. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? We can see that early in his life. Well, he was so smart and so witty that his neighbors and all the townspeople in his town, recognizing this, offered to pay for his university education at Oxford, at Oxford or Cambridge. Okay, He was a sharp guy. But at age 16, he refused. Because to go to either one of those prestigious schools meant that he was on the path towards Anglican ministry. And remember, he came from a family of nonconformists. 
So he turned down Oxford and Cambridge education at 16 and instead went to London to a nonconformist school, not so prestigious. But he excelled, he graduated, and the first five years after his graduation, he became um, a, a tutor. And he tutored. Uh, but in 1707, he published Hymns and Spiritual Songs. Okay? And in that publication would become some of the most popular English hymns. Uh, over 600 he wrote in his lifetime. One of them you're very familiar with, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Okay? That's Isaac Watts. Later on he wrote Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament. That was in 1719. Now, when he wrote that, many of his English colleagues said they couldn't recognize a translation of the Psalms. How could joy to the world, that's our psalm today, really be Psalm 98? Or Jesus shall reign wherever the sun be, how could that really be Psalm 72? Or God our help in ages past, how in the world could that be Psalm 90? And he was met with so much criticism um, because he was just too contemporary and too modern and too forward-thinking in what he had done. Okay? Um, but he was a brilliant man. Now, his life kind of took a difficult turn. He began to be physically ill, and eventually he suffered um, from psychiatric problems. He had mental health issues, okay? His appearance was said to be unsightly. He was five foot, pale, skinny frame, and he was topped by a disproportionately oversized head. Okay? Now, there was a love in his life. Her name was Elizabeth Singer, but he rejected, she rejected his marriage proposal. It is said, the reason why is though she loved the jewel, she could not admire the casket which contained it. In other words, his outward appearance was so unattractive that she couldn't look past that and really um, embrace the jewel of the person that he really was. So he was a man who was brilliant, who suffered physically and emotionally, and who was rejected. Never married. Okay? In fact, the last 36 or so years of his life, he, he lived out in, a, in like a country retreat or a state of some friends where he wrote and continued um, to do scholarly work. He wrote 30 theological treaties, essays on psychology, astronomy, philosophy, three volumes of sermons, and the very first children's hymnal was written by Isaac Watts. And he wrote a textbook on logic that for generations served as the standard work on the subject. Okay? That was Isaac Watts. And he wrote today's uh, carol, Joy to the World. Now, as I said, Joy to the World is based on Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Let's look at this psalm, but before we do, I want to show you this quote from Isaac Watts. This kind of sums up how he felt and what motivated him 
um, to write hymns and to do it in a way that people could understand and celebrate who Christ is. He wrote, To see dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly while the psalm is upon their lips, might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. In other words, he said, if he were talking to you, not that this applies to you, he would say, you know what? We're singing songs that are based in Scripture and the very Scriptures on your lips. And yet your response and the way you're singing it leads me to question your commitment to your faith. Do you really have faith? If you did, you wouldn't sing the way you do. That's kind of what he's implying here in this. But he writes Joy to the World. So I want to take Joy to the World. It's based on Psalm 98.4 and following. Psalm 98.4, we read it today, says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Do we have that up there, Sam? Psalm 98. There it is. Let's look at that together. Can we read that together? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Okay? Psalm 98, that is joy to the world, is written, it's based on Psalm 98. But you remember, in his, his second writing, he wanted to take the Psalms of David and apply them to the New Testament message. Okay? And so, although it's based in Psalm 98, it has both Old and New Testament references um, to the person and work of Christ. Now, the reason this is a Christmas carol that isn't a carol is that he didn't write it as a Christmas carol. He wrote it as a celebration, as a joyful exclamation of our Lord's second coming and what's going to happen when the Lord comes. You see, in, in the history that we see in Scripture, we see creation, we see the fall, we see redemption, and then we see restoration. Well, this song is written about restoration. It's about the finished work of Christ, what's going to happen when Christ comes again at His second advent. But the reason we sing it at the first advent is because, obviously, it, it has meaning in the first advent, in that it points us to the second advent, the total, finished, completed work of Christ our Redeemer. That it's not enough to, to celebrate the birth of a child in the manger. We have to recognize what his mission was and what he's going to accomplish for us. Okay? When, when the Lord brings complete and total restoration to all that has been broken by sin. So this is what this song is about. Let's look at it here. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Psalm 53.3. We ready, Sam? There we go. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Okay, this is a psalm that's talking about the Messiah, okay, about Jesus. 
It's about the suffering servant. Now, this is a psalm that's hardly joyful, is it? It's really talking about how he was received at his first coming. When Jesus first came, this is how he was received. It wasn't with the fanfare, with the celebration and, and the joy, or, or if it was, it was just by a few. Okay? Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Psalm 53, the suffering servant, tells us that when he came the first time, he was rejected, he suffered and died for our sin, all right? The penalty that was due us was placed on him. But let me tell you something. He's coming again. And Paul writes to the Philippians here in this verse. He says, when he comes again, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. So his second advent is going to be much different than his first in the sense of the life he lived. Right? It's going to be much, much different. And, and there's a reason that our hearts should be filled with joy. And we should exclaim joy to the world. And that's, that's really what Watts is getting at with this carol. Which really isn't a carol. Let's look at Zechariah 14. Then the Lord my God will come, and all His holy ones with Him. The Lord will be King over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and His name the only name. Now doesn't that relate right back to what Paul writes in Philippians? Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. There's only going to be one name, and that's the name of Jesus. Okay? Let every heart prepare him room. Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Then you will look and be radiant. Now check this. Let every heart prepare his room. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. Looking forward. Looking forward. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Revelation 5.13 Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Joy to the world. Good stuff. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Revelation 11, 15. There it comes. Ah, love it. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever.
Let men their songs employ. And they sang the song. Here we come. There it is. Revelation 15.3. And they sang the song of God's servant Moses. Now that comes from Exodus 15, 1 through 18. And that's the song of Moses following the release from bondage uh, in Egypt. Okay? You can read that. But there's a greater release from bondage. It's the final and great release from bondage. And that's the bondage of sin and its penalty death. And so not only, right, is there the song of Moses, the release the song of the release of joy from the bondage of of slavery in Egypt, but there's the song of the Lamb. And that's the song about the release from the bondage of sin and its penalty, death. Okay? Check this out. And they sang the song of God's servant Moses and the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways king of the nations. Ooh, it's good stuff. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Now you can see here the influence of Psalm 96. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world and the peoples in His faithfulness. That's Psalm 96. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Micah 7.19 You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Revelation 7.17 For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them into springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love this next one. Nor thorns infest the ground. Now, look at Genesis 13, 17. And this is the Lord responding uh, to the sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Okay? This is the hard labor, the tilling of the soil, that it, and the plants are thorns and No, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be like the garden now. As a result of sin, your life's going to be hard. Even the earth has been impacted by sin. It's producing thistles and thorns. Okay? But look at Isaiah 55, 12 through 13. You will go out in joy and be led in peace. 
The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And so the work of the Lamb, the work of of Jesus in the second advent, is going to restore all Right? That was corrupted by the fall and by sin. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Isaiah 65, 16. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. There will be great blessing. Great blessing. Reason for joy. When Christ comes again. And then finally. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. The glories of his righteousness and wonders of His love, and wonders of His love, and wonders, wonders of His love. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is with you. Do you know that? Do you know the Lord your God is with you? The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing and praise. What other response can we have but that of Isaac Watts when he writes, Joy to the world! Our Lord has come But, Watts is saying, He is coming again, and I'm telling you, it's going to be great. There's great reason for joy. Oh, Christian, regardless of your state, whatever's going on in your life right now, there is hope. And we can look forward to His second advent as we sing together. Joy to the world. Amen.